This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And on Wednesdays, it's MVSW time with our good buddy Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Hello, Greg. Hello, how are you? Uh, I am well. We're going to start with the uh, with the heavy that is Ivan Provorov and, and dovetail into a couple of other things. But um, you know, I, I just had a, a conversation with Bain Pettinger of CAA. Bain, as everybody knows, came out in 2020, um, sharing his sexuality with everyone at the age of uh, of 33. And so we talked about you know how this felt to him and what it meant to him. And you know, one of the things that we saw last night and and into today and continue to see is. You know, disappointment and frustration and anger, rage, etc. Um, some pretty vicious comment sections around social media as well. How did you receive this last night? Like, there's, there's a couple of things. You can be angry. You can be disappointed. Uh, you can just sort of shake your head at the whole thing. How did you greet this Provorov news from last night? I was very disappointed. A very, very, very disappointed. Um, disappointed in how the Flyers decided to handle it. Uh, disappointed in John Tortorella, who's an extraordinarily thoughtful guy that I got to know a little bit working with him at ESPN, giving a little bit more oxygen to homophobia than than maybe I'd like in, in his post-game statements, while mm-hmm. obviously trying to be respectful of someone's religion. There's a couple of things here that I think are really important to mention. One is that this was a charitable endeavor, They're not wearing pride jerseys for the photo op. They're wearing pride jerseys to have them auctioned off after the game to raise money for Flyers charities, which spend money in um, disadvantaged communities and other communities to try to grow hockey. It's what the the mission of the charity is, is to grow hockey. So by not participating in this, and you can get into the, the dynamics of whether or not he violated his standard player contract by not choosing to participate in a charity um, as it spells out that he needs to, it essentially is, is, is hurting a charitable initiative that all of your teammates are taking part in. And so that's one. The second thing, as I spoke to the CEO of You Can Play today, and for those who don't know, You Can Play is the advocacy organization that's worked with the National Hockey League since 2013 about these very issues. And he had some soft criticism of Tortorella, and a lot of things to say about the statements that that organization and the NHL put out. But, but he said something that I thought was really important, which is that we're not talking about the money the Flyers raised last night. And we're not talking about the efforts of Scott Lawton and, and James Van Riemsdyk to create programs that brought LGBTQ plus fans to games during this season. And we're not talking about the Flyers being at the forefront of this movement uh, to expand hockey's reach and make it more inclusive. They had gritty at the pride parade, Merrick. Yeah, I know. Like the the Flyers are not this team. And the actions of one of their players under the shroud of religious freedom, and as a Catholic, you could argue (laughs) till you're blue in the face about what is strict construction and loose construction when it comes to issues like homosexuality. Um, Now all of that is obscured because of the actions of one player. And, uh, and that's a real shame. And it brought a lot of negativity to a night that otherwise should be a very positive moment, not only for the flyers, but for hockey as they try to push forward and become more progressive and, and broaden the tent to bring in more fans to what is a very myopic sport. I, I, I want to pick up the conversation about, about Tortorella and all of this as well. 
Um, and this was the point that I, was, that I was bringing up with Pettinger a couple of moments ago. We've seen players scratch for being late to team meetings. We've seen players scratch for a number of reasons. Oh, it's a, it's a team issue. We're not disclosing. It's, a, it's an issue that this player has with the team. That's why he's not playing tonight. You know, the decision that, you know, Ivan Provorov made last night to remove himself from the team, I mean, I kind of look at it as akin to, you know, violating a team code, a team initiative. If that doesn't at least give the head coach reason to consider scratching the player, because Tortorella mentioned this last night, there was no consideration given to Ivan Provorov. He was playing in that game last night. That I have a hard time with. That I have a real hard time with because we've seen players scratched, Greg, as you well know, for much less. Do you think this was just a poor decision by John Tortorella? That's fine for Ivan Provorov to have his feelings, and, and that's okay. And I, as much as I don't agree with them, and, and most people are around, the, uh, around hockey don't, um, those are his beliefs, fine. His choice not to take part, fine these should be the consequences. Namely, on a night like this, if you're not down with it, you're not playing. Yeah, but you have to remember two things. Um, the, the first is that when it comes to religion, that is the thing that gives cover to bigotry, homophobia, establishment of the patriarchy, xenophobia. So many things that are abhorrent okay, mm -hmm. are reinforced and sometimes excused because of the excuse of, of religious freedom. And you can look no further than the NHL statement that they gave me after I asked for one last night, which is basically that clubs decide whom to celebrate, when and how. Players are free to decide which initiatives to support, and we continue to encourage their voices and, per and perception, you know, perspectives on social and cultural issues. Essentially to say, you can use your religion to opt out. That's essentially what they said, and, and that's what Provorov did. And so it's very tricky to walk that line if you're a, a business to say, we support this social initiative, but we don't agree with the religious dogma that you believe in. And that's essentially what the Flyers would have had to do last night. And I understand the toughness of that situation. I don't agree with Provorov or any of this but I understand the spot that they're in. Mm -hmm. You can play in my conversation with them also brought up the, the Tortorella thing. And essentially his decision last night and the team's decision last night, because the Flyers obviously play a role in this too, was this. Do we want this player to undermine the character of our team, to undermine the perception of our team, to undermine how people see our team, to undermine our efforts in the community. And like you said, Merrick, how many times have we seen players suspended or disciplined for basically violating a character clause, for lack of a better term, right? Mm -hmm. and, and essentially what he did last night and their reaction to it was put a player above the team, put a player above their initiative, and no one is talking about Pride Night they're all talking about what Ivan Provorov did on Pride Night, and I can't think of anything more deleterious to what the Flyers were trying to accomplish last night than someone stepping out and putting himself above the team. It, it was inevitable, though. Like the 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 minute that he did that, like that was going to be the coverage. Like I'm curious, like what did, what did you make of the response to all of this last night? Like I know, I know that you know comment sections can be 
<sighs> Difficult to look at sometimes. Uh, what did you make of the reaction to all of this online last night? It's a bunch of guys that take selfies with sunglasses on in their car telling me that, uh, you know, <laughs> telling me where to go, telling me <laughs> what, what should happen to me. And they're not just doing it on Twitter. They're doing it on email. They're doing it in all sorts of places. I mean, you know, this is what happens when, when we, you know, point out things in our sport that need fixing. And, you know, one part of the statements from you can play in the NHL that I agree with is that it's, it's not done. Like the work clearly needs to still happen because you have situation like situations like this going on. And, and so, you know, I'll, there was also a, a strain that I thought was interesting, Merrick of, of people saying that this was um, xenophobic towards Russians and, and not respecting their beliefs. And that if it was another faith that maybe we would look the other way or, or not come down as hard as we are on a Russian player. And obviously there's a mm. lot of sensitivity towards Russian players because of, of the invasion of Ukraine and things like that. But it also got me thinking about that. It's, it's not like Provorov is the only Russian Orthodox player in this league. I mean, we are a few years removed from ba Pavel Datsuk, yep. you know, who's going to be a hall of famer in short order. Uh, being at the forefront of some of these controversies and supporting his church and and their bigotry and homophobia and and being written about in much the same way that Provorov is being written about today. And there's other players, and you could look around this league right now and see which players participate in Pride, which ones don't, um, that are in the same boat. So it, it's, I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like Ivan Provorov is is a symptom of a, of a larger problem. It just becomes because it was such a, a, a thing that stood out last night, he becomes the fulcrum for it. But it's it's not like he's alone in this. One of the things that we wonder about here, too, is and I, I think this is inevitable and it's probably already been trending in this direction, specifically if you look at how the this player has played over the past couple of seasons. You know, I wonder how much of a divide this causes between Provorov and everybody else in the room. To your previous point, this is not what the Philadelphia Flyers are standing for. This is not what James Van Riemsdyk, Scott Lawton are standing for, other players in that room as well. I wonder how much of a, div of a divide now this causes because this is such a huge story. How much of a divide this causes in that room between the Flyers and that defenseman? You and I have covered these issues for a long time and... and I find it really interesting what you just said in my conversations with you can play today. They brought up the notion that had this, you know, if they had a pride night 15 years ago or 13 years ago, you know, it may just be three guys wearing the jerseys, right? Yep. And now it's all of them except for one and how much that's changed. And isn't it interesting that when you and I would discuss whether a player in the national hockey league, could come out and be openly gay and still play in this league. The conversation always used to be about, well, what a distraction that would be for his team and what a distraction that would be for his teammates. And I'm sure there's probably still a little bit of that, you know, floating around, but look how it's turned now. Now it's the guy who's a homophobe that has created a distraction for his team. Mm -hmm. 
I don't necessarily think that would have been the case 13 years ago. No, I don't. Uh, I don't disagree with that at all. You know, one person that I spoke to this morning who is a you know significant member in the uh, LGBTQ plus hockey community said to me, "Look, it's it's not great. Um, it's hurtful." Uh, you know, he, he was saying he's frustrated, angry, etc. But this person also said to me, "At least we know." Like as right. as distasteful as it might be, at least we know, you know, at least this person has identified themselves, and you know, this person I talked to said, "Listen, it's probably it's it's more insidious just to hide it than right. to be because at at least then you know, okay, this is where this player stands on inclusivity, right? So at least if you want to look at any sort of lining on this one, at least we know." Right. And that's why the notion of cancel culture is idiotic because quote unquote cancel culture is simply just the ramifications for your actions. And so I, I had somebody reach out to me just before who's in, you know, former member of the NHL family who said, you know, I support his right to out himself as a homophobe. He shouldn't need to compromise his beliefs and the public should feel free to cancel him. Right. I mean mm -hmm. like that, that's, that's, that's the trade-off, right. Is that you can be candid with your beliefs and you, you could, you could stand behind the, the shroud of religion to feel the way that you feel, but we don't have to take it. <laughs> like we, no. we don't have to sit here. We don't have to not bring a sign to the game and call you out or, or, you know, you get dragged in social media for it. Like that's the trade-off. And, and I think that's one of the, the, the strange things that's happened in our culture is this idea that like, you can't infringe on my beliefs but any backlash towards those beliefs should also be shielded as well. And that's not how it should work. No. And, you know, one of the things we wonder about now, because it's not exactly a secret, like we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, that it looks like Provorov and the Philadelphia Flyers, um, you know, are headed for a divorce. And, you know, does this move things along? Maybe slash probably. But here's the issue. Considering how radioactive this is right now, can you even move them anywhere? <laughs> like if you're, if you're Chuck Fletcher, and this is just like the, the, the hockey part of this now, outside of like the, the human side of the story. The hockey part of the story is, you know, we had wondered about teams like the Winnipeg Jets. We had wondered about teams like, and this goes back to, you know, the, his association with Kelly McCrimmon and, and Brandon with the Wheat Kings, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, we had wondered, okay, where is the, the landing spot here for, for Ivan Provorov? Given that, you know, there is a strong belief that this thing is headed for divorce court. Can they even do that now? Well, I guess they're going to have to wait until the new ownership takes over in Nashville or trade them to. That's uh, another big Florida. one that's coming. That's a, that's, that's <laughs> another. That, and, but the thing is, this one's coming a mile away here, right? Yeah. The, 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 Nash, the Nashville story is, is, is coming. And for those that don't know, you know, and, someone you know, who's in the process of purchasing the Nashville Predators, the former governor of Tennessee who voted against same-sex marriage. So that's another one that's coming the nhl so and, and my the other part of my answer to that merrick is that like i don't know if you noticed but tony d'angelo is on the flyers yes he is on, the on an nhl contract Correct. there will yes. always be someone out there that will take uh an available defenseman by the way i bring up d'angelo not only to underscore my point but to also <clears> mention um in my in my hastiness last night to combat the marauding hordes of homophobes uh, someone uh, said, hey, liberal, 
uh, put your money where your mouth is. If if you think that Provorov should donate part of his salary to this charity after stiffing them last night through his actions, you should too. And uh, in a moment of valor, I went to the Flyers auction and I, I put in a a rather robust bid on a Tony D'Angelo Flyers pride jersey, Merrick. Oh, wow. And... Uh, most, so, mostly, so most, you, you, you reach into your onion wallet and we call Greg's wallet the onion wallet because every time he opens it, he starts crying. So you pried <laughs> open the onion wallet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a bit on the Tony D'Angelo pride jersey? For the, for the sole reason to screen grab it and to say, here is what I have done. I have put my money where my mouth is and I have bid on this jersey. And I have to admit, and I will admit this to you and to everybody listening, I kind of thought I'd be outbid at some point for this jersey. Not He's happening. A pretty popular player. Yeah. No, I, I am. I am right now the leading bid for a Tony D'Angelo <laughs> Flyers Pride jersey, and I have to admit that after years of this, yep. I kind of feel like this is what it is to to own the libs, like like <laughs> to do to do something that's sort of like deleterious to yourself. For the sole purpose uh, of of getting one up on somebody on social media, yeah. and right now I, I I have now granted it's for charity. I don't feel that horrible about it. Yeah, but I am I am right now the clubhouse leader for a bright shiny new Tony D'Angelo pride jersey that I will certainly wear with an amount of irony. I love it. Um, <laughs> last la- last thing on this one, and I want to move along. Where do you think this is heading? Like, where, where, where do you think all this is going? We can talk about it. Like, what does this mean for the Philadelphia Flyers and this player, the fan base, um, Gritty, um, James Van Riemsdyk, Scott Lawton, uh, et, et cetera, Chuck Fletcher, John Tortorella. Where, where, where does this lead? Because I'll be honest with you, this, this, the cynical part of me says it's going nowhere and it's going to just vanish once it's out of the news cycle. No, it, it, here's where it is. We, we continue to progress at a snail's pace towards being a more progressive sport and there's an an elasticity to it. The NHL put out a statement recently that was an emphatic endorsement of, of gay rights and trans rights. And they did it on Twitter. It became a very, very big thing. Mm -hmm. And people I think really appreciated this corporation taking the stand that it did much like it took a stand you know, during the Black Lives Matter, um, you know, protests in the bubble. You, know, you rarely see it from the league, but when the league does it, it resonates. Mm-hmm. Well, then what happened was uh, they ended up on Tucker Carlson here in the States because of it. And I'm sure many people in the listening audience here in Canada know Tucker Carlson. Yep. Uh, and, and there was a, a giant backlash against the NHL, quote unquote, being woke. And so what happens then is that the uh, elasticity goes the other way and we sort of recede from our boldness. And we may have all these these initiatives and things like that, but the statement the NHL put out, while I'm not saying it's a bad statement, certainly isn't as emphatic as the one they put out a few months ago, Mm -hmm. right? And so what we're going to see is we push forward as a sport, we get knocked back as a sport, but every time we get knocked back, we're a little bit closer than we were before. And that's just going to be how it is in perpetuity until, you know, subsequent generations cleanse the society of the toxins that are inherent in it. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you. I just, I just used to think, okay, a number of people just have to die 
for things to change. Like that generation just has to bluntly die and things will be better. Uh, I don't think that way anymore, Wish. <laughs> no. I don't. No. Um, okay, a couple of things around from uh, from around the uh, the hockey water cooler. Um, what are your thoughts on Evander Kane and the Edmonton Oilers right now? He comes back to the lineup yesterday. They, uh, they beat the Seattle Kraken. I want to get on the Seattle page with you here in a couple of seconds. Um, but mea culpa, I was about a million percent wrong about Evander Kane and Edmonton. I thought this thing was going to be a disaster. I thought that, you know, Ken Holland has a couple of Ferraris in the driveway. Why are they putting that in jeopardy by bringing in Evander Kane where controversy has followed? Um, Does he still have his issues? Of course he does. We read about them uh, not, you know, just occasionally, but frequently. But as far as being a teammate and a player and a productive productive member uh, of an Edmonton Oilers squad, I was about a million percent wrong on Kane and the Oilers. He returns last night to which you say what? I mean, I think he's obviously been a real productive player on the ice for them. I'm I'm always going to be a, a little bit arm's length with Evander Kane off the ice. Uh, maturity, I guess you could say it's happened in some ways during his career. Mm-hmm. I think the the amount of negative press that he, he uh, generated with Buffalo was a different kind of negative press than when he generated it with San Jose, for example. But, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of, of um, an if and when to his off-ice behavior that I'm still not comfortable with of somebody putting him on a long-term contract. But it's undeniable that the impact that he's made on, uh, on the ice with the Oilers has been largely positive. What do you think of the Oilers at this point? <laughs> well, like to me, like, like they're a, they're a, they're an endlessly frustrating team. Like I have a hard time. Like listen, you remember the Pittsburgh Penguins when they first got Mario? It was a while until they won the Stanley Cup. I keep coming back to this, you know, two Ferrari in the driveway team that still isn't there yet. Like I thought we were going to come to a place where it's not. You know, it's it's 2023, and we're not saying have the Oilers won the cup. Rather, we're saying how many cups have they won by now? Oh, I don't know about that. I think I so they were my cup pick, um, and they were my cup pick one because I I had a lot of faith in Jay Woodcroft to kind of figure out a little bit defensively with this team more than maybe he has. I had a little bit more faith maybe in Jack Campbell than was warranted. Um, and I also had faith that Ken Holland was going to be, was going to find a way to upgrade their blue line, which remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. But I also had faith that like at some point when you put two generational talents on the same team, they're going to break through and win a cup. I, I firmly believe that I have faith in that, that if you put two generational talents on the same team, they will break through. And they came, I mean, they, they came close last year. If, if Dreisaitl wasn't being held together with scotch tape and prayers by the end of that playoff, who knows, right? Um, world's, best this, sta- sh- world's best stationary player, by the way. Yeah, I've heard this. I've heard that. <laughs> Good Lord. But but the sheer, the sheer, you know, supernatural force that are McDavid and Dreisaitl, I feel could drag, can drag any iteration of this team into the playoffs and could potentially drag them even farther than that. And, and so I picked them this year because I felt like maybe it was time. Now, that was probably wrong. There's a lot of things about the team I don't like. Mm-hmm. I don't quite think they've figured out how to play championship-caliber defense, for example. But at the same time, 
if of these bubble teams that, and I, I think we're going to talk about one in Seattle in a moment, but yes, like of these bubble teams, uh, I have the most faith that the Oilers are going to qualify and, and advance Seattle two losses in a row is the sky falling or do we look at those first two weeks? And by the way, January was supposed to scotch this team with the four game weeks, three weeks in a row. And they're there now, uh, hitting a wall here, uh, lose to Tampa, lose to Edmonton. Um, through it all, we're learning how, you know, Daniel Sprong is a value contract. We're learning how Vince Dunn is going to get paid eventually here. What do you make of Seattle? In the month that was supposed to break them, they got stronger. Yeah, I love how you're like, are they cooked because they lost to a a two-time back-to-back defending Stanley Cup <laughs> champion that excels at defeating good teams and the Oilers who are like on a heater right now. I Again, like they were going to come back down to earth because they weren't going to shoot over 12% yep. for the season, right? Um, the real the real test for the, the Kraken is twofold. One, that their goaltending doesn't turn into a pumpkin because again, like it's been bend but don't break. Mm-hmm. It's been if we score a goal, don't give it back to them. 90 seconds later, which was what was happening with Grubrauer last year. And the other facet of it is, is whether they can forward depth their way to a playoff spot. Um, Beneers coming out of that roster reset the center position in a way that it needed to be reset because it was a donut last year. But everything else around the center spot, the wingers, they're great. They're really good. They have a great collection of veteran players up front. And, and I think from a depth perspective, um, they're one of the better teams in the West. And they're going to have to rely on those contributions. I someone I forget if it was if it was our conversation or another conversation, but like this Ron Francis team is very very reminiscent of the Ron Francis teams he had in Carolina, isn't it? Um, like the by commit the by committeeness of it, the, the not, by, not necessarily the, the the the. I mean, they have a little bit of the puck possession. They're not nearly as good defensively, but the the by committee of it all. And and the kill them with depth of it all, I think, is very reminiscent of the teams that he built in Carolina. They kill the yeah, they they kill them with depth uh, with depth definitely. I I think that Seattle is headed to. I mean, they have a shot at it. I don't think they're going to get there. But there's only been a couple of teams, and one of them was Tampa, in I think two fourteen, two fifteen. I know the Montreal Canadiens in sixty one, where they lead the NHL in goals, but don't have a single player that's a point of game player. I think the last yeah. time was Tampa with Tyler Johnson when they scored the most goals in the NHL. Uh, but Tyler Johnson, you know, was, you know, the, I think he had like two points shy of a point per game. But anyway, um, I think the depth is definitely, I thought that Carolina Hurricanes team had better net minding than, oh, than Seattle does right now. And I think that ultimately may be Seattle's undoing. But there is there is some crossover. Like, listen, there's some crossover when you look at the drafting too. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that his first two first-round draft picks are both centers, Greg. Yeah. You know, like how Bobby Clark would always try to prove that, you know, you win Stanley Cups down the middle. I mean, screw you, Bernie Perrant. You didn't win those Cups. I did. You don't win the Cups with goaltending. <laughs> you win the Cup by down the middle with centers. You know, Ron Francis' two first-round picks are both centers. You know, Maddie Beneers and, and Shane Wright. Um, yeah. We only got a few minutes left here. I want to get to, um, you know, one of the big stories of the day and or of the week, rather, and that was... The Jim Rutherford press conference. I mean, that tree is still bearing fruits. Um, you know, the uh, the phrase major surgery for Vancouver is the big takeaway. But then you couple that with, but we're hanging on to the core and we want players that are 25, 26, even though teams don't get rid of those guys unless they've already disappointed, et cetera. 
and those are long shots that they're going to finally click and figure it out. What did you take away from that one other than we know the coach is getting fired and the captain's getting traded, and I think that you know Jim Rutherford made that pretty obvious. Yeah, I liked, I liked the part where he basically discounted anything Bo Horvat is doing this season as counting towards a contract. <laughs> like, like he, like he, he kind of said we're but, in a pickle. But he, he hang on. That, but he, he, here's the thing about that, though. For all the reasons he said he wasn't going to pay Bo Horvat, he did the same thing for JT Miller, who was having the career season, and then paid right. him as if that career season is going to continue. Right, exactly. So it, it's, it, I, li- I really like that part of it. I thought that was funny. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of my Vancouver friends lately about the Canucks and, and I maybe have gotten a little bit loud and boisterous about how frustrating it is to act as if this is all new information for the current regime, that it, it is a capped out, just ugly contract, dis- undesirable players kind of team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that it was a Jim Benning roster that was double downed on for reasons that are completely alien to me. Um, I hate to say this because I, I, I think the world of the guy, I never thought I'd see a Jim Rutherford led front office be this over their heads in, in a situation. Really? Mm. I mean, truly like, like I know there's a, there's a notion of Jim being one of the he, smartest hockey men that we've ever had and everything like that. But, but I, I look at what's happening and I've looked at what's happened for the last year and a half. And I say to myself, they don't know what to do. They he, just don't know what to do. He admitted And, and, and part he, of it, he part admitted of, I know you're going to say part of it's the owner. Right. But he, right, yeah, exactly. he admitted and, and, that. He he said, like, look, I'm disappointed in my job. I mean, listen, we we right. all remember what happened when Jim Rutherford took over. What was the first thing? Cap flexibility, cap flexibility. We need some room to swim here. And then what are we doing mm-hmm. at the at the start of the season? We're celebrating. They nailed the salary cap by a dollar. But I also think, and only only Jim can really speak to this. And Lord knows if you put a mic in his face, he might. But I really think that. He probably thought he was going to be able to manage the owner better than he has. Mm. Probably thought that. He probably thought there'd be a lot more deference to someone with the resume that he has, with the bling of the cup rings that he has. And I don't think it's necessarily played out that way. And so when you have a situation uh, where the uh, house flip is uh, all of a sudden there's uh, termites in the foundation and you've got to replace the roof and the swimming pool cracked. Like you didn't realize how heavy the lift was going to be on this house flip. And then on top of that, you have an owner that you maybe thought was going to give you a little bit of space that is maybe a little bit more meddling than you thought. Mm. These two things combined make this a very untenable situation. And I do not know what next steps are. Uh, real quick, sticking with Vancouver, I'm going to talk to Joey Kenward a little bit more about Gino Ojic here in a couple of seconds. You and I have talked plenty about that era of hockey where hockey fights got really scary because the guys got really big and everybody Huge. had about three or four on their bench, nuclear deterrence, whatever you want to call them. And when it came to guys coming into Vancouver, you know, Gino Ojic took on all of them and yeah. the league was real scary at that point. Tonight before the Tampa game, the Vancouver Canucks will celebrate the life and times of Gino Ojic as well. Um, your your thoughts and and memories of uh, of Gino, this you know lovable tough guy for the Vancouver Canucks who rode shotgun with Pavel Bure, uh, who stood up for his principles uh, against you know Mike Keenan uh, and ended up getting traded because of it. Just your thoughts and memories of Gino Ojic. Here's my my primary memory. The year was 1996. Into 1997, 
this man had 371 penalty minutes. Oh, yeah. Like, let that's the league. The, and that's not like tripping. And <laughs> no, 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 it is no. not. It is, it, it is, it is your, your fight misconduct multiplier happening uh, uh. Every, every third game. But again, like, like you said, I mean, the, the kind of player that at that point in the NHL's maturation as a, as a league and hockey's maturation as a sport that you needed on the roster because everyone had that deterrent. You needed to have one for yourself. And what, what we're going to see from, from Vancouver fans, I think speaks to that era and, and the thing that, you know, for better or for worse has been lost, which is the cult icon status of the guy who threw hands and amassed 371 penalty minutes. Mm -hmm. Like you have guys that play hard now, like I think of a guy like Ryan Hartman, for example, with Minnesota, who became oh, yeah. like a, a fan favorite, right? But by no means is he a 371 penalty minute guy. No. Um, you have guys that play hard and guys that are glue guys and guys that are greasy. And those guys have their followings. But there was just something larger than life about the Geno Ojics that we simply don't have in today's game. And again, like I said, for better or for worse, because it is in many ways a better game, a better product than it was in 1996, um, if maybe in some ways, a little less endearing. We uh, will see tonight um, as the Vancouver Canucks before the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning honor the late Gino Ojik. All right, that was a heavy one today um, for obvious reasons. Thanks as always, Wish. You have a good seven days. We will uh, we will get back together next Wednesday, my friend. You'll be well. Uh, absolutely. I will be wearing my bright, shiny new Tony D'Angelo jersey. Nobody Wednesday. bid. No, you know what? Bid up against Greg and lure him online to to bid against you. <laughs> let's uh, let's divorce Greg from his dollars a little bit more here, shall we? It was like that great story when that when George Peros uh, was in the miners and there was one car that he really wanted and he was like buying it on eBay and unknown to him, his then girlfriend, soon to be wife, uh, was trying to buy it for him. Uh, as a surprise, and they both ended up bidding against each other and bid the car up like thousands of dollars more uh, until they finally realized, oh, it's just the two of us, and you know I've got my AHL check, and how can I afford this car now? Uh, yeah. Wonderful story. Uh, thanks, Greg. You be good. Anytime. Thanks for having me. There is Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, uh, weekly MVSW recap and Redux.